Hey, just a heads up, in the episode of Voyager we watched for today's episode, there is some discussion of sexual violence against Native peoples uh, in a historical context. We discuss it a little bit in the episode, uh, but just wanted to make you aware. Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Jingle of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Jingle of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> We were just recording promos for uh, the hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery, and talking about how if we introduce ourselves by name in the promo, that may be more deterrent than anything to yeah. prospective new listeners. No one will care. We don't have <laughs> name recognition. Name recognize name, or in our case, does not recognize name. Yeah, so we made the great creative choice in our promos for the hit podcast, The Greatest Discovery. The hit new Star Trek podcast, Greatest Discovery, uh, not to involve our names and things at all. Yeah. So uh, we assume that's worked wonders and that people who discovered uh, that show have also migrated over to this show. So welcome. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great success was that promo. <laughs> Adam, we're here at the end of season two. This is it. Can't believe it. It's going by fast. It feels like season two was a watershed season for really Star Trek Voyager. So many great and crazy things happened. Crazy for science fiction in general, not just Star Trek. I, I had watched this episode already this morning and you hadn't. And I was like, this episode is wild. And and <laughs> I I kind of got the sense that you were taking that in a something like totally unbelievable and science fiction-y is going to happen in this episode. And I was like, no, no, it's not wild like that. Once you go full axolotl, what is there <laughs> after that? Yeah, once you go full Tuvix. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I mean, all that's left for you is dark web sci-fi from, from there on out. Once you hang out with a clown played by Michael McKean. Yeah, and those are just three examples from three recent two. examples of weird things that happened this season. Really close grouping too. Yeah, on those yeah. apps, <laughs> it's like a sniper's uh, practice target. Yeah, I mean, Star Trek routinely does a great show for their season finales. Frequently, they are cliffhangers. So going into this one, I had some expectations. But mostly, like, they're, they're the positive kind of expectations, right? By now, in Star Trek's run, they've gotten the cliffhanger right. And so going into this, I was ready for greatness. I was expecting greatness. You were brimming with confidence about the episode we were yeah. here to watch? Yeah. Much more confidence in the episode of Voyager than I am in the episode of The Greatest Generation. Oh, yeah. This will be a poor effort. I had an insane idea, Ben. Okay. We just dropped some shirts into our merch store. You may be familiar with it, with Podshop.biz. Podshop.biz? And I have not been able to shake the idea of a name change for the show. Oh. <laughs> you and I have not talked about this. Okay. You're talking you, about changing the name of The Greatest Generation, our beloved Star Trek podcast. 
I've thought about this. I'm wondering what's holding us back to the Miriam extra viewers that, that are not on board with us yet. And I wonder if the name is a deterrent. I'm wondering if we should be greatest Trek, if Trek should be in the name. We already took those handles. Hmm. Yeah, it, we have the handles. It punches off the tongue. It really hits. It says what we do on the on the canister. <laughs> it totally wipes us out financially in terms of our, our merch. Yeah. We really right. fucked that up. <laughs> I'm not saying that we're gonna change the name of the show, but do you think it makes a difference what the show's name is? Much in the same way, you and I were just talking about how insignificant our own names were Right. to the popularity of our show. Does the name of the show itself matter? I'm sure that we have bad... I mean, like, if you search us on a search engine, I'm sure that we don't show up very high in the results unless you add podcast or Star Trek after the search terms. Not even beloved longtime advertiser Squarespace could optimize our search <laughs> for our show based on its name. Lord knows they tried. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, if we keep advertising on your show, will you eventually become a uh, success story for us by changing your name? I think we should definitely have the card daddy, Bill Tilly, use the greatest Trek Twitter account to make a poll. And mm. we should see what people say about this. Because that's science. Yeah, that would be science. It would uh, be an interesting... I mean... We don't do things that our viewers tell us to do, though. So, like, we could get an overwhelming majority one way or the other and still not do the thing. That's true. But I also do really like that there is a small but non-zero possibility that at some point Tom Brokaw <laughs> will hear <laughs> that we called our show The Greatest Generation. Which is a name we took from his hit book. <laughs> so inspired were we by the books we found on our dad's bookshelves that we named our show after it. He's actually a, uh, a regular guest over on the Flophouse podcast right here on MaximumFun.org. I know this. Yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe one someday they'll tell him. Maybe they'll break it to him. I was a regular guest at Stuart Wellington's bar when I was in New York over the weekend. Oh, really? Did, yeah. you, uh, did you run into Stu? We had that great hang where Stu was behind the bar, and then we roll in, grab a table in the corner, and then after a few minutes, Stu just joined us at our table for a while. So he, he was working and playing at the same time. That's great. That's He's one a, of the great hangs. That's one of the great dudes right there. Wow. Well, boy, I don't I don't even know what to think, man. Like this, I know. Uh, I really sprung that on you. But I thought because it's the season finale of an episode, we might want to have a cliffhanger of our own. Should yeah. we change the name of the show, Ben? I can't believe that we're putting the cliffhanger right at the beginning of the episode. Hey, you're the editor. It can go anywhere. Oh, yeah. I could just, I could, uh, hey, this one has the Marin after the credits. <laughs> now we'll really be able to see who's listening to the very end. <laughs> And for those 5% of our viewers, they will have a disproportionate ability to change the name of our show. Yeah, they're going to know what that Twitter poll is about in a yeah. way that nobody else will. We've gerrymandered our own polling to just the <laughs> just the back five minutes. Yeah, it only happens uh, every decade, but we've done it. Yeah. Adam, do you want to get into the episode? I can't wait. 
It's right there to be discussed. It's Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 26, Basics, Part 1. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> we start on some cultivating of, of seedlings, and then, oh my god, that's Brad Dourif! What the fuck? <laughs> Suter is back, baby! He's back, and he's... Uh, Moodier than ever. Yeah. The lighting that Suter has chosen for his confinement to quarters is uh, is quite gloomy indeed. Is it true that the paparazzi just refuse to cover Brad Dourif? Because <laughs> it's just too intense mm-hmm. of an assignment? Yeah. yeah. It put the paparazzi in a, a really tough spot when he was dating Zsa, Zsa Gabor for about six months. <laughs> You know what? You know what picture you're never gonna see in your supermarket tabloid is Brad Dourif blowing out his birthday candles at Spago. <laughs> Brad Dourif's genitals showing as he gets out of Lamborghini. <laughs> I bet he has very intense genitals. Oh yeah, <laughs> piercing genitals. Not pierced. I'm not saying it's pierced. No. Yeah. Brad Dourif has. Since the last time we saw him, he's been confined to his on-ship condominium, and uh, he's turned those quarters into a modest home and garden center, like the kind you'd find not in a big box store, but kind of one of your smaller in-city Target stores that has like kind of a half an aisle situation. Right. Or like local non-chain hardware store that like is just trying to have something for the home and garden head shop with a hydroponics area through a beaded curtain in the back kind of vibe. He's developed a new species of orchid. An entirely new species. I'm going to name it after you. I'm going to call it Tuvorchid. And Tuvok is like, hey, listen, I don't really like the portmanteau thing anymore after (laughs) some recent trauma. Suter's like, look, as great as this orchid looks from this angle, let me turn it around and show you the back. And Tuvok's like, oh, God, no. (laughs) 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 The meld has really had a lasting impact on Suter. This is Tuvok's hobby that Suter has really taken and run with as part of his effort to kind of clean up his act and have a positive life. And uh, he really appreciates this, but he's not getting out anytime soon. This he's, has- he's just saying like, hey, listen, I thought the only thing I was good at was murder. And uh, <laughs> it's great to discover that I'm also good at plant cultivation. We get those vibes here that we see in prison films where you're up for parole and you're attending your hearing and you're making the case that you're a changed person mm-hmm. and you might be ready to go. And Tuvok will seize him at the end of his conversation and yeah. then they they start in on their therapy this is this is a cliffhanger right off the top yeah it's a, they put the the cliffhanger right in the marin here who would they? do that <laughs> see it's a good idea yeah so what he wants to do is kind of a 24th century version of work from home which is i have discovered this latent skill in botany botany bay that i would like to apply to improving the results we have in the aeroponics bay. I can stay here. I just, I'm just interested in getting some gear to, to try this stuff out on uh, food plants that are being cultivated by Neelix. We see later that Suter's been fed a steady stream of Neelix-delivered foodstuffs. 
kind of a Neelix box sort of su- subscription service. Mm, yeah, yeah. And uh, he is highly motivated to change that situation. So you can understand the urgency here. If he could get his hands on his own Leola roots, the things he was <laughs> would be capable of. Yeah. <laughs> on the bridge, they've gotten a hail. Yeah. Scanning around, trying to figure out where it's coming from. It's coming from a Kazan Bois. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. It's a message bois. Mm-hmm. It's a message in a bois. And it's a FaceTime from Seska. It's a new baby FaceTime. That's right. And uh, it's not the cute kind of new baby FaceTime either. It's uh, There's no showing off here. It's <laughs> it's sort of grainy footage of Seska holding the baby before getting roughed up by someone we don't see off camera. Chakotay, they're going to take your son. I've heard of uh, being born with a silver spoon. This baby's born with a fleshy spoon. <laughs> <laughs> we don't get a name, do we? Of the baby. No, I mean, that's something that you want the parents to kind of talk over between the two of them. I was wondering about how long they spent deciding whether or not this baby should have a name from Jump. Hmm. Does, th- does a name make this scene more tragic? Because I'm of, going for more tragedy if given the choice. The scene is really dark because yeah. it, it becomes clear that Seska is basically being attacked by Kola and the signal cuts out. And we get very intense Chicote eyes to theme. Right. After the theme, you kind of get the emotional bends because you see this traumatic event and then you have the theme song as interstitial. And then we cut into a meeting where Chicote's in media, I thought it was a one night thing, not a commitment race. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to pay child support. He doesn't want to take any responsibility for this. Not a great look by Chicote here. I mean, in his defense, this is Seska and Seska be laying traps. Like, <laughs> I, that they even needed to ask the question do you think it's a trap? That that was an unintentionally laugh out loud line to me, I thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they basically turned to camera and they're like, if you've if this is your first time watching Star Trek Voyager, we need to make clear that Seska perhaps can't be trusted. Seska stays laying traps. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like it's a trap we're going in anyways, which is... That's fun. Every third action movie basically has that as its setup. And, it's true. Uh, as they a, know we're coming. We, they know we're coming, and and that's fine. You know who else knew Chicote was coming? Actually, that's not how the baby was made. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Chicote knew that Seska was coming with that syringe. <laughs> <laughs> but did he... Or did he find out later? (laughs) It doesn't seem like anybody knew anybody was coming. I know. Until now. This is the first time. (laughs) There just needs to be more communication between parties in general, right? You know, as Andre 3000 memorably said, call before you come. Don't just (laughs) pop over out the blue. (laughs) Janeway is really generous in this scene about what to do next. Because the question from the cold open is, what is Chakotay going to do? And the answer after the cold open is, what are we all going to do? Yeah, it's going to be Chakotay's decision whether or not to go after this baby. And her commitment is basically like, 
speaking on behalf of the crew, I know this is going to be dangerous, but we are going to be down to help you see this through if this is what you want to do. And I recommend you take some time, get your bindle together and pray on it and make a decision and let us know. It's a classic situation of uh, if I say no, ask dad. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Chakotay's thinking. If his conscience says no, he's he's going to ask his dad. And so he uh, he sits on the floor of his quarters and rubs some stones together. And there he is. He appears like the Red Baron pizza man. Yeah. There are a lot of things to be critical about the way the character of Chakotay is written and the way his spirituality is depicted. But I think that the scene is very interesting because it does not pull the punch of like what white colonialism meant to Native peoples. Yeah. And what a... A weird challenge it was to have children enter their society that were the product of sexual assault by colonizers. And this is like a painful historical memory that Chakotay's father compares to the thing that Chakotay is going through, which is a, you know, sci-fi inversion of that same thing. Like, I don't know if it's like a perfect one-to-one comparison, but I thought like if we're grading on the curve of this stuff was all partly the product of the fake consultants yeah. that Voyager employed, this is actually like better than this, normal. This actually makes you forgive that consultant for everything and <laughs> and you're actually fully supportive yeah. of the consultant's work here. Now it's good. <laughs> Colabac's like, let me see if I can put this in terms you might understand. So, Seska is the white man. (laughs) (laughs) And et cetera, et cetera. Treat the kid like your own. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting as a production challenge to depict how this begins and ends, right? Because we cut right back into Chakotay's quarters again. It's not like he says bye. It's, It's a classic, like vision quest that doesn't say bye before hanging up the phone like (laughs) it's a classic vision quest that pulls up the car and parks in a spot that is for some reason available right in front of the club yeah and doesn't lock the car door before walking in it's a classic case of a vision quest going to a bar and just ordering a beer (laughs) (laughs) it only happens on tv With the vision over, he seems, it seems like he's taking Kolopak's advice for action. He, I mean, he doesn't give it voice necessarily, yeah. but, but he seems satisfied with what he's heard, or at least at peace with it. It's a very uncomfortable scene. I think the, the other thing to say about it is like stealing someone's DNA is not comparable to rape, but the like upshot of like what to do about the kid does feel comparable to Chicote at the very least. So he folds up his bindle and our next scene is a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And it's kind of an unusual one because it seems to have gone into kind of breakout sessions <laughs> where there are different working groups and Janeway kind of goes around the room and talks to people about what the different issues that they've uh, specialized in in their subcommittees are going to be. Every time you go to a meeting, there's always a hierarchy, right? The people you go to first for their suggestions... Yeah. And uh, boy, as soon as we're in on this McLaughlin group, it's Neelix 
who is offering to help with the mission that appears to already be in motion. He's offering Talaxian help. And I'm like, how much of this mission did we skip? (laughs) 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 I mean, it's not just that the mission's already in full swing. It's that we're already to the Neelix suggestions portion of the meeting. Janeway hears about this idea that the backup that they are potentially going to have would be the Talaxians, and she turns to Chicote and she says, I'm sorry, Mr. Chicote. I know I told you we could go get your son, <laughs> but it turns out we cannot. <laughs> and exactly how are these ships armed? Do they just throw Leola Root out the window, Mr. Neelix? <laughs> Are we to assume that they will morale them to death? (laughs) Kim suggests a sensor scrambling plan that makes it look like many more ships will be involved. This is not a surprising kind of plan. We hear this fairly often on Star Trek. The, if we're just one ship, let's make it look like we've got a bunch. And the doc kind of puts a hat on that sensor hat by going, how about instead of just adding dots to their sensor display... We add some fucking ships out the window using hollow emitter technology, not unlike what we're using to project my body around. Today, we're going to talk about the metaverse. And BLT is great in this scene. She's like, we can't even have you actually attend the meeting. What makes you think we can actually do a plan like this? And Lauren Michaels leans back in his chair and goes, "Mm, I think it'll play after 1 a.m. It's kind (laughs) of a hat on a hat. (laughs) Doc is like, I'm sorry, I thought I was on a ship where we could imagine doing great things. Yeah. You know, rising to the challenge or whatever. I I, I honestly think this could be a franchise bit. It could could be one of our classic film spinoffs, you know? Yeah. We'll see. Tuvok smashes the Doc in his hollow balls here because he's like, a simple scan is going to reveal that these are hollow ships with no life signs or energy readings or anything. Like, I don't know how long you expect a plan like this to work. But they agree that uh, it might be something to have in the back pocket. You know, in a in a circumstance where you're outnumbered, even a little bit of time could make the difference. It's kind of the, let's have a pitcher of water on the table that we can knock over in case we need to run out of the room real quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the meeting is adjourned, and there's a nice moment toward the end. Most of the attendees have already left when Chakotay goes, hey, uh, just one more thing. Thank you. And they all nod at him, which is like, I don't know how to take thanks or a compliment when that's ever given to me, but the nod, the sturdy nod, it's a great mm-hmm. look. Professional nod. Look. He takes an unsnapped pencil and puts it into the <laughs> breast pocket of his shirt. <laughs> Gonna save that one for later. <laughs> You never know. It just looks like Chakotay's got extremely long piercings in his nipples. (laughs) So they're heading toward uh, where Kala's ship will be. They run across a drifting Kazon shuttle, and the life sign aboard is in pretty bad shape, so they beam him directly to Six Bay. They don't send Tuvok or any security down. Tuvok takes the con, and Captain and... Chicote walked down. I guess this guy is too fucked up to pose any kind of threat. He's in critical condition. But this dude's name is Tirna, and Chicote recognizes him from when he was imprisoned on the ship. He's Tirna is one of 
Seska's aides. He definitely recognizes those fists. Yeah. And uh, Tirna has some pretty shocking news, Adam. Yeah, he's like, uh, the camera's in real close, you know, like sick on a bedside close. And he's yeah. like, Chicote. <coughs> RSVP Seska. Chicote's <laughs> like, it sounded to me like you said RSVP. Like a party? <laughs> like, is this some kind of. Uh, have I been invited to a baby shower? You you fucking asshole. You think you think I would ever attend something like that after what she's done to me? Fuck you, Tierna. Fuck you. And he starts just grabbing for hoses and cables by the by the hose and cable part, not where they go into ports. Starts ripping them out of the wall. He's like, where's that pencil? Crap, I left it on my desk. The bedside confession continues in a pretty detailed manner, like Tirna goes into how exactly Seska died and what yeah. exactly happened to him and where that baby's going to go when it's all over. And yeah, none of it is good. Tirna was down with Seska, so when they killed her, he had to bribe the guards to try and escape. Mm-hmm. He had a problem on his shuttlecraft. He inhaled some nasty fumes, hence his critical condition. But Chakotay's still like... Spidey senses stay tingling. Mm -hmm. This is still a Seska-adjacent situation. So he asked the doctor, hey, what about running a lie detector on this guy? Yeah. He kind of flicks the bag on the stand next to the bed, and he's like, can we uh, shoot anything into this? Maybe start getting some (laughs) truthful answers from this guy? What are we talking about? Some sodium pine contathol. Yes. Yes, that is what it's called. You're bringing your best stuff on the season finale, Ben. Yeah. Hey, I didn't save anything for the swim back, you know? <laughs> I've got to get that platinum, get that robe enlargement. <laughs> One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time and they send in their books they send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code scarves to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. 
And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that. Latinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. It's trust but verify, right? Because in engineering, they're checking out the debris from the Kazon shuttle. And time after time, like none of the evidence they're finding from Tierna's story is questionable. Like everything's kind of lining up. This is what we call an orgy of evidence. There is a really fun shot here in this scene where we get a slow whip pan between Chakotay, BLT, and Kim. Yeah. I love this shot. This is big fun. They can't rule out that this guy is lying, but also like everything he's saying is like so fucking plausible. Yeah. The one little fiddly thing is that there's something weird about this guy's blood that they haven't been able to figure on and they can't administer a lie detector test because they don't have baseline data for dequad aliens which I, I think is a very fun bit of world building yeah but they they're gonna have to go with it for now the duck is like i would need dozens of k's on to do y incisions on to like really get an understanding of what we're working with here so if maybe you could fill up the morgue with them that would yeah. that would help a great deal if we could uh, somehow get lots and lots of Kazons on board this ship and then have reason to murder all of them yeah what you need to really sell the idea that tierna is is helpful in this case is like an over generous gift of intelligence and we get one of those in a they meeting have another that mclaughlin group issue two and tierna is there kind of giving them the command codes to starship reliant he's got some great visual aids during his presentation he seems to have a good familiarity with the tech which i found suspicious like he's <laughs> up there just hitting buttons showing his visual aids there he brought his own like bluetooth presentation clicker yeah that you know it's better than the one that they had for the sesh he throws away a line about the Kazon defense net and chakotay's like well how about we get that code that would be helpful 
And then he just drops the code there. Tierna's like, hey, here it is. So the combination is one, two, three, four, five. And with that defense net code, they are able to reveal all of the Kazon ships in the area on the path that they need to take to pick up that baby. This is a great magic trick, right? The code is entered, the ships appear, and the only problem left at this point is that uh, all of the ships that they've revealed using this code are unaffiliated with any sect. So they are like practically feral with aggression out there, which kind of makes them even more dangerous. They encounter another Kazon shuttle, and uh, this one is not adrift. This one is attacking, and uh, it's, it's pretty quick little bit of combat like there the shuttle is no match for them but it gets one gut punch in and then kind of goes away and Janeway's like cool I have some other stuff to do now I'm leaving the bridge I am hungry for delicious delicious vegetable broth (laughs) I am interested in having my soul stared into by the creepiest eyes aboard the ship and I can't do that on an empty stomach (laughs) these drive-by skirmishes are going to be a thing that happens throughout most of the rest of the episode here. This is just the first. So Janeway and Tuvok go down to meet with Suter, and he is uh, excited to see Janeway. And he's first date nervous here. He's first date nervous. His his place is kind of a wreck because he is so focused on his botany work. Mr. Suter, are these tax documents? (laughs) <laughs> on the table. I didn't know you needed so many crumpled up Kleenex to do botany. I thought we told you, as part of your house arrest, we will be doing your taxes. <laughs> so I will just take these materials. No, 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 no. <laughs> Tuvok just shoots him. <laughs> so they make the pitch, but the pitch has already been made, basically, by Tuvok in the hallway. Like, Janeway arrives... Basically fully informed. Suter maybe makes a misstep saying that he wants some chemicals and equipment without being more specific. Yeah. Chemicals and equipment don't sound like something you want to give this dude. So she says, like, I'm going to give it a think over. I'm going to go borrow Chakotay's bindle and really examine my own mind on this issue. And uh, he wants he wants an answer now. It's like when you're a kid and you ask your parents for something and they say, we'll talk about it later and, and let you know. You know, that that is not satisfying. It's not. He really freaks out. Then what's the problem? Why won't you give me an answer? Mr. Suter. In the hallway, Tuvok asks Janeway what the deal was with the chemicals. And she's like... Run a search for the chemicals. With any luck, they're exotic. (laughs) His MO is that he's good. When he combined that orchid with that other orchid, (laughs) he didn't have He wanted to move on to the aeroponics bay because at that point, what's the difference? (laughs) Oof, this is a withering look that Tuvok gives Brad Dourif on the way out. Like, disappointed dad. Mm hmm. I, I I went through the work of uh, of bringing you to my workplace on Bring Your Child to Work Day, and you embarrassed me in front of the boss. What the hell? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. It sucks. Yeah. In the captain's log, we get the idea that they're just swatting away these Kazon raiders like so many flies. But one interesting thing about their attack is that they've been concentrating their fire on a certain part of the ship. And, I mean, it's not an important part of the ship, but it's still concerning that all of what we were told 
are disparate Kazon ships with no relationship to each other have chosen to coordinate their fire on a part of the ship. So no one likes that. Janeway says that we're being pecked to death by ducks. Which I loved. It's a rare non-space animal that gets referenced here. You know? we, we really needed a Beverly Crusher to be like, uh, why don't we look at this from the duck's perspective? And the duck <laughs> is like, yeah, so the hollow emitters are like throwing so much bread into space. <laughs> Neelix brings some soup to Mr. Suter, but after his blow up with the captain, Mr. Suter is in no mood to keep eating. And when he finds out that it's Leola root soup, he's like, is it piquant this time? Neelix? (laughs) It wouldn't be piquant, would it? You know, Neelix, I heard you got your piquant soup in New York City. New York City. Hey, Neelix. How about some duck soup, given the fact that we're being pecked to death right now? Three men and one woman are trapped in a building. Send help at once. If you can't send help, send two more women. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Red alert calls Neelix away because Mm -hmm. the pecking continues apace. Yeah. In Six Bay, the doc continues to work on Tierna, and Tierna is not an easy patient to deal with. Uh, Tierna seems to be able to move around on the ship and within Six Bay without being challenged at all. That is until Chakotay enters the scene, who I thought, I was like, why is Chakotay going to Six Bay? I was like, oh yeah, he's there to talk to Tierna. Like, there's no other reason for him to be there. (laughs) And he turns this scene into a classic, much in the same way that Chakotay punched that guy in the face. Yeah. In the in the mess hall. Like, he comes very close to punching Tierna in the face here. He's like, you're lucky as fuck that this is a Federation <laughs> ship and not a Makeways ship, you motherfucker. <laughs> the doc takes some umbrage with the violence here and uh, yeah. and kicks them the fuck out. Yeah. So they're, they're coming up on the big, scary group of ships. They've really taken a ton of gut shots from all these littler Kazon attacks. But now it's go time. And they need to get their hollow projectors and their their scattering fields ready to make it look like a lot of Talaxians are are helping them out. And uh, the Kazon are sort of presenting in a a Cardassian style formation. Their attack formation is a classic Cardassian echelon. Which sort of implies that probably Seska is behind this whole thing. They're coming at them in one of those uh, elongated Sunday spoon configurations. <laughs> <laughs> that you use for a dessert. This formation sort of implies that there's one path of escape, which they know is not where they want to go. Yeah. So they trigger the hollow emitters and uh, it starts to cause some of the Kazon to lose their nerve and bug out. But we get a pretty long sustained space combat sequence here with the Voyager trading shots with Kazon ships. At one point, instead of a holographic Talaxian ship, the dock is beamed into space. Weren't you like, fucking finally we're getting exterior shots? It seems like they were talking about shooting other ships for a long, long time in this episode before we actually saw it happen. Yeah, but I feel like they kind of saved their powder for this. You know, like these moments are, there's a lot of cutting around to the outside here. And these are they're, those are probably expensive shots to do in this era. Before flipping on the hollow ships, the Doc has a kind of Adam-style pre-tour freakout mm-hmm. where he's not sure if he's ready or if the plan is going to work or if there are enough jokes. 
and and BLT kind of side eyes him, and he's like, "Look, the tour's happening, whether you like it or not. <laughs> it's booked. Yeah, people bought tickets. Yeah, we gotta go. Yeah, you really don't have any choice in the matter anymore. Yeah. One thing that goes on during this combat sequence is we get a close up on a foot where the owner of that foot is peeling off the toenail. This is Tirna. Tirna's toenail is the detonator. Tirna himself is a bomb. This upset me so much because when they beam strangers aboard Voyager, I think the first thing you do is uh, is run them through a scanner, take off their shoes, take all their personal belongings, run them through a separate scanner. Mm-hmm. Make sure you run your hands inside their belt line for some reason. <laughs> really make them feel like there is a real security apparatus there. You take a ball peen hammer to each one of their fingernails and toenails just to make sure those are legit. Yeah, I think you need to check the legitimacy of the nails and nail beds <laughs> straight out. <laughs> no one did that. And this is on Tuvok, isn't it? This is his job. I guess so. I mean, it seems like a very innovative technique. Like somebody set him up the bomb, Adam. <laughs> Yeah. And I don't blame him. This one got past the goalie, but the shot of Tirna like swelling up before exploding is really gross. And then uh, it becomes clear that his stateroom is right next door to where Suter stays. And uh, he explode. This knocks out power all over the ship. This is bad news bears. Are we aware of a Kazon deity in any way up until now? Because I want to call attention to a choice that this episode makes to show Tirna on his knees in a form of like worship to a deity before doing the deed mm-hmm. that is definitely coded in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if we have that backstory to the Kazon or if this is a creative decision made to expedite our understanding of what's to come. Like the foreshadowing of an enemy person being captured, doing a prayer thing, apropos of nothing, suggests what happens later in a way that isn't motivated in universe. Like this is like what we know about extremism and extremist religions. And it's up to us to project that onto Tirna here. Did you feel any of that kind of vibe? Well, if you listen really closely to what he, he's muttering, he's actually saying, oh, man, I think I forgot to separate my lights from my darks in the last load of laundry I did before I left. And then he blows up. <laughs> the funnest part of Tierna's suicide here is <laughs> is that he gets really big first before exploding, right? I got a the ship is in really bad shape. This is when Paris is like, hey, uh, so maybe time to call in the Talaxian cavalry. Yeah. Should I go hop on a shuttle and see if I can't slip past the goalies? Am I making any sense here? As soon as Janeway's voice starts to drop into a whisper, Paris knows the score. He's like, <laughs> I need to get the hell off of this ship. Yeah. All is lost, man. Like They've lost power. They've lost sensors. The shields are, are going down. The ship is being boarded. Janeway is attempting to persuade the computer to let herself destruct it, but the auto-destruct is even out. I love this reveal, right? That's what it was all about. That's the payoff. The secondary command processors won't allow Janeway to whisper the ship to death. Yeah. Do you think Paris thought about going to warp 10? Oh. (laughs) 
I mean, the Talax- if he showed up looking like an axolotl, the Talaxians would have cooked him. I love the B-Dunks takes here in the shuttle, like like squinting and, and bobbing around through the yeah. firefight. It's big fun. This is really bad. And when we get that exterior shot of the ship surrounded by Kazon, I was yeah. like, make the cliffhanger here. I was like, this is as good as it's going to get. End the episode here. And let's go into next season like this. Yeah. That's what I wanted because I was not confident that the cliffhanger to come would be more cliffhangy than this, would be a taller cliff than this. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. Instead, we come back from commercial and onto the bridge marches Kala and Seska with Babe in arms. And the crew are like on their knees at Phaser Point. Chakotay gets to meet the baby for the first time. You gotta see the baby. Seska's got a couple of uh, breast pumps going. (laughs) And everyone on the bridge is like, it's fine. This is a natural thing. There's nothing to get upset about here. Kula doesn't like it one bit, though. No. Kula goes straight Archie Bunker (laughs) with his dialogue here for a couple of minutes. He really flies off the handle. He not only goes Archie Bunker verbally, he straight up backhands Janeway to the face in an upsetting kind of violence for all of the conventional ways, but also violence against a Starfleet captain is not commonplace. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a rare moment for the bad guys to get this close to the captain. Yeah. And you know, we cut around a lot of a lot of dour faces. Tuvok is pretty humiliated, I think. <laughs> letting this happen. I mean, they they knew that they were flying into a trap, but the the trap was too well laid, I guess. He heard Ensign Kim say something about Tuvix probably being able to do a better job here <laughs> if he were still around, and that's got to sting. <laughs> Ensign Kim got on their special Tuvok to Kim radio and just <laughs> said that to him. Yeah. Oh, I promise not to tell the junior officers. So they get all herded off the bridge. They're going to be all put in a uh, cargo bay and some scenes of Kazon shoving people down corridors and roughing people up. It feels bad. And the visual language is so interesting here. It feels very like prison camp movie. Very, It's very fucked up and upsetting. Yeah. And we get a couple of little vignettes in here. One is of the doctor putting himself on like a 12-hour timer to disappear so that the uh, Kazon won't really be aware of him. We know he can't feel time when he's turned off, right? He always seems to pop up, you know, surprised at his circumstances or at the passage of time that has happened between ons and offs. Like, this has got to be like being in a coma, but except you don't feel it, right? Like, you're just blinking and you're awake again. It's like a certain type of time travel. I want a Doc's Day episode. (laughs) Dear Commander Maddox, (laughs) fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I heard what you tried to do to Data, and frankly, from my perspective, you can eat a bag of dicks. <laughs> we get one other vignette, which is of a Kazon opening the busted-up room right next to where Tirna blew himself up, which is Brad Dourif's room. Yeah. And uh, nobody is there, so they all get herded down to the cargo bay, and Kulla takes the ship down into the atmosphere of a planet... That when they bring it up on view screen, 
looks like a real shitty place to get marooned. It's a there's we, a lot of lava. There's we get a stock lot of video of the Mount Kilauea volcanic eruption. <laughs> they turn on the view screen and it's a Dianetics commercial. <laughs> but when they actually sit down, it's just like the San Gabriel Valley, right? Yeah. I was really impressed at how good the Kazon were at landing this ship. And Kala yeah. is totally enthusiastic about what just happened. Yeah. He got a big win just now. Really did. This is one of the examples of an answer to a question we've had for a long time, which is like, how good at science and other things do you need to be in Starfleet versus what you can just ask a computer to do for you? Because right. Kala's giving orders, his other Kazon are doing the work, but all he's really doing is like, Make way for landing. <laughs> Secure thrusters. Right. Yeah, no, I, th- I mean, and his laugh is so not like arch villain yeah. mustache twirl laugh. It's like, I can't believe that actually worked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He seems to be having fun, and you like that. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of humanizes him. Why the very name is racist. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is a moment that made Kala all right with you. I mean, I'll never forget him for hitting Janeway. But I guess, much like you being okay with the Native American consultant, this is a scene that redeemed Kala in your eyes. This whole episode has really been about redemption for me. (laughs) On the surface of the planet, the crew is herded together, their comm badges are taken, and they're left to fend for themselves. This seems to be where the Federation rubber meets the Maquis Road, though. Because as soon as Janeway starts giving orders, I started to get very nervous about if a fracture were possible. And and Janeway seems to recognize the danger of that. She takes it upon herself to be the morale officer instead of Neelix. Neelix is off kind of in a snit by himself going like, fuck, I really gambled on the wrong deal here. They separate out into little groups to gather things. And imagine taking orders from Neelix because Neelix is made to be one of the leaders. Delta team with me. Nobody wants to be on Delta team. Leading real (laughs) Starfleets here. (laughs) Yeah, he's like, they gave me one bath and I just fell for their whole fucking line. And now I'm fucking marooned with these idiots. You know, I'd really rather be looking for water instead of more fucking flowers. Now look what she's gotten us into. This planet is seismic. There are dinos. There are cavemans. And they have to watch the ship take off with those cavemans from the ground. Pretty bleak moment. That's not the last moment, though, because back on the ship, the dock pops back up in an empty six bay. We push through a wall and find Lon Suter, like, sharpening a fucking stick, ready to kill. And he turns to the camera and he says, I'm not trapped on this ship with the Kazon. <laughs> They're trapped on here with me! The dozens of Kazon nearby hear Lon Suter inside the <laughs> Jeffrey's tube and just eject him out into space. <laughs> and uh, finally, the last shot of the ep is Janeway squinting into the sun as her ship departs in front of her and uh, Chakotay sidles up next to her and Janeway says, my God, Chakotay, what have I done? <laughs> And Chakotay says, you did what you always do. You tried to blow up the ship, except it didn't work this time. You fucked up, Captain. You put coffee before the safety of your crew. (laughs) 
There's coffee in that self-destruct sequence. And that's the cliff. That's the taller cliff. The cliff is even taller than you thought it could be. This, this is an appropriately tall cliff here. Did you like this episode, Adam? I love the end of this episode almost as much as I love the entire episode. I thought this was great. It was, yeah. it was breathlessly paced. It was over before I knew it. So densely compressed with story, the stakes couldn't have been higher. And I love making a season finale just as hopeless as possible. And this really <laughs> feels like that. You don't even need to see the Cro-Magnons up on the rock line. Like, you don't need the threat of alien attack on the planet service to see how bleak this is. There's nothing there. It's bad news bears. Uh, I can't believe we have to wait an entire summer to find out what happens. Lieutenant Downer, <laughs> take your team to the other side, as far away from us as possible. Lieutenant South American soccer team, go with him. <laughs> Make your group stop singing Ave Maria for just a moment. <laughs> What about you, Ben? What a great end to such a great season. I just feel like season two has been such a high percentage of killer and such a low percentage of filler. And this really ended it right. I feel very lucky that we don't have to wait an entire summer. This yeah. this felt like like I don't think anybody anything could ever get to best of both worlds part one level ending. Right. But this is as close as you could get for this series, I think. But Adam, do you want to see if any of the P1s in our inbox rise to the level of Best of Both Worlds Part 1? All right. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of P1s here. The first one is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. Friends of DeSoto and all comic lovers everywhere. Shopping for Superman is a documentary that explores the history and impact of comic shops and discovers their role in combating censorship, providing safe spaces for fringe groups, and becoming the greatest champion of childhood and adult literacy. Follow shoppingforsuperman.com slash film to view the first 15 minutes of the film. Follow us on most of the socials and GoFundMe at shop number four soup doc. That's a shop, the number four S-U-P-E-D-O-C. We could use some scarves, but sharing helps too. Excelsior! I always try to make a point of supporting all indie documentaries whenever I encounter them. So I've got a lot of love for, uh, for the craft here. And, uh, and for Wes Easton's message about their documentary. Yeah, that sounds like a really cool uh, subject matter and uh, something we can really get behind. So uh, thanks for the promotional P1, and I hope folks will support Shop for Soup Doc. Yeah, watch those first 15 minutes. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Tommy from Philadelphia, and it's to Ben <laughs> and Adam. Message, hey, that's us. The message goes like this. I have so much gratitude for you both. 2020 was tough. But while rewatching DS9, my colleague Connor introduced me to your pod. I was busting and started it all over to follow along. Wow. <laughs> and in parentheses, always at 1x speed. Hell yeah. From two cheesemongers and friends of DeSoto to two West Coast Shimodas, thank you. 
And you'll Whoa. always have food and a bathroom in Philadelphia. Man, I want to get some of that nice cheese. Tommy, Tommy. you don't know what you've offered me in the form of that bathroom. <laughs> it's too much. <laughs> Adam has the upper hand now. <laughs> Especially if you're giving me cheese also. Forget it. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, we'll definitely take you up on that if uh, we're able to get back to Philly anytime soon. Yeah, Tommy offering us some Johns right mm-hmm. away. Adam, our final P1 today is from M, and it's to Nige, I think. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. It goes like this. My SP, you're even cuter than a crumble bee. A crumbly bumbly bee. <laughs> Happy five-year anniversary, my love. I really did get the best husband in all the quadrants. Now get this cheese to sickbay. Five-year anniversary is the crumbly, bumbly, bumblebee anniversary, right? (laughs) Yeah, it is. On my my fifth anniversary, I was compelled to give my wife a box of bumblebees. Mm -hmm. Crumbly, Mm -hmm. bumbly, bumblebees specifically. And she did not like that gift. Yeah, I my wife is very traditional, and I did not know about the crumbly bumbly bumblebees, and yeah. she was really mad at me that I kind of blew it. Yeah, uh, we really blew it one. in opposite ways, didn't we? Yeah, I hope that Tommy from Philadelphia has never had to take cheese to Six Bay. Wow, that stuff can really that, mess up a ship. That uh, cheese is for us, Ben. Yeah. So happy anniversary, Nigel and M. Thanks for listening, Tommy. And uh, go support Wes Easton's documentary, Shopping for Superman. Yeah. All a bunch of great examples of different kinds of P1s that you can get by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like friends. And I don't like you. Hey, Adam. Tap in. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I didn't think it was going to be him early in the episode, but I'm compelled to give Shimoda status to almost pre-Shimoda status to Brad Dourif's character, Lon Suter. <laughs> like he becomes the chaos agent toward the end. The payoff to the chaos is coming. Yeah. In the beginning, it seemed like he, there was no chaos available to him. He's stuck in his room. He's being disallowed from participating in so much. But yeah. uh, but once we see him in the Jeffries tube, chaos reigns. <laughs> I'm going to give it to the doc for getting beamed out into space. Seems like they do have the holographic technology to get him out of six bay. Yeah. <laughs> By accident. They I thought they should have made him big, though. Make him ship-sized. That would have been fun. But... uh. Like yeah, that if was they like... made him ransom-sized out there, wouldn't that be fun? He's growing hands. Price for grabbing! I think the reason I want him to be Shimoda is that that moment seemed so random. Like, when it happened, I was like, oh, no. Like, they're going to start having casualties and no doctor to help them because he's, like, caught in the Matrix right. on the surface of the ship or something like that. Yeah. No, he was just out there for a minute and got to, like, do a little performative wailing. And that, now he's back. It's fine. Yeah. No problem. <laughs> so that was why he was my drunk Shimoda. I like when they pull him back. BLT just fucking glares at him. <laughs> Stop screwing around, Doc Holiday. Yeah. Well, no screwing around as we uh, enter into the third season of Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, that's true. We're going to need to go to gach.biz slash game to find out in what way we will be doing this first episode of this next season, which is called season three, episode one. Basics, part two. While the crew fights for survival on a primitive planet, 
A lone crew member battles the Kazon to take back Voyager. Is this the most unimaginative episode title series ever? What does this have to do with? Uh, I guess it has to do with basics. I don't know. Getting back to it? Yeah. I don't Returning know. to? Yeah, I don't know. I hope the reveal is what a great title basics is in part two. Yeah, Because at this point, I don't get it. Well, I'm going to give us a roll here on the board uh, of the Game of Buttholes. The Will of the Caretaker. If I roll a six, we will hit a Coco No-No. But that's the only thing I can see that we could hit. We are on square 40. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let's hope for a big number. Yeah. We got a big-ish number, Adam. I rolled a five. All right. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Puts us on square 45. Regular old episode next week. Wow. Continuing our uh, pretty regular run (laughs) here on uh, The Greatest Generation. I can't always say that. Yeah. (laughs) Glad to be doing it professionally, if not digestively. It's nice to get it when you can, you know? Speaking of regularity, the regular support that we receive for this show is the reason we're able to continue to do it. And you can join the Miriam Friends of DeSoto who have pledged their monthly support to The Greatest Generation and The Greatest Discovery by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. We also encourage you to recommend the show to a friend or co-worker. And uh, if you've got time and the Apple Podcast app, leaving us a nice review on there is also a big help. Yeah, we are the highest rated most reviewed Star Trek podcast out there, and we want to stay that way. So keep us on top by uh, giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. If you're going online, you might want to uh, follow the accounts at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Those are run by the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who makes baseball cards about every episode of the show. He shares those on the social media. They're very funny. Greatest Trek, you say? Huh? Snappy. Hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. The uh, other person we need to thank is our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the Janeway song, the theme song of The Greatest Generation Voyager, and uh, Dark Materia, who made the Picard song, the original Greatest Gen theme song. Those two folks helped us out a ton. What about Greatest SEO? <laughs> Maybe we could spin off a company if we figure out how to get Greatest Generation to be the number one Google hit. Okay. But uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the Greatest Generation Voyager that is trying to find out what makes it so basic. Their clothing on the planet surface is going to become a pretty basic drip. (laughs) You're going to be wearing the skin of those Cro-Magnons here in a moment. Yeah. Once the Donners get a hold of them. Make it so. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.